Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey everybody, this is Mike Lewis here, and we'd like to welcome you to the inaugural edition of the Fanalytics Podcast. Specifically, we want to welcome you to our pilot edition of the podcast. Some introductions as we get started. I'm a professor at Emory University, and I, I focus on marketing, and I focus on the application of analytics. So I spend a lot of time working on um, customer analytics, and of late, I've started to apply these customer analysis techniques to the world of sports. I'm also the faculty director of the Marketing Analytics Center here at Emory University. Um, I have my co-host with me. Ada Chong. Ada is the Communications Specialist for the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining in. This podcast is really cool because it's about all things sports analytics, the business side and the on-field side. And you know what makes us different is that we're giving an academic perspective. We are going to be rigorous both in terms of theory and in terms of statistics. Today, for our opening edition, our opening day, we are going to start with a marketing topic. We're going to be talking about Major League Baseball fans. Okay, and, and so you guys know, our goal here is to cover interesting topics. Not quite a how-to, but we want to give you insight into both, you know, we, we want to talk about cool topics, but we also want to give you some insight into how we analyze these things. So the regular season for Major League Baseball is right around the corner. A big part of sports is, of course, the fans. So let's talk about which teams has the best and worst fans. Okay. So let's start with the headlines before we, we go into some depth here. We've crunched the numbers. Top fan bases going into the 2018 season are sort of drumroll number one is the Boston Red Sox, followed by the Yankees, Giants, Dodgers, Cubs, and then uh, one of my personal favorites, the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, that actually surprises me that the Red Sox beat the Yankees because New York has such a big population. It's the biggest market in the mm -hmm. country. So why is it that you think there's bigger fans in Boston than in New York City? Well, and this is, this is what's sort of interesting and kind of great about taking more of an analytics-based approach to, 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 to a topic like looking at fans. Because I think, I think for the most part, you know, if you went all over the world or all over the country, I think people would say, name a baseball team, people would say the, the New York Yankees. Okay? Because you're right. They're the biggest team. They're the, they're the team that plays in the biggest market. They have a history of a lot of championships. They've got all-time greats ranging from Babe Ruth all the way through Derek Jeter. Um, and, and you are absolutely right that there are really significant differences in terms of the markets. That's actually kind of the key thing to the analysis. So, you know, New York has about 18 to 20 million people in the metro area. Whereas a Boston comes in right around about just a little bit less than 5 million folks. That is a huge difference with 15 million people. So the rankings, <laughs> again, you know, 15 million more people in the New York area. So how does that still, you know, stand? Okay. Well, and, and this is great. And so I think when we, when we take on one of these topics, uh, and a, a topic like who are the best fans, 
Well, one of the starting points, or one of our first questions, is going to be, well, what do we mean by the best fans? And so notice that I'm not saying who has the most fans. You know, I'm not saying who is the most well-known. I'm saying who's the best fan. And by that, I mean things like sort of who are the most engaged, who are the most, who are the most committed fans. And that's where, when you start to dive into the, when you start to dive into the data, that the Red Sox, you know, they don't beat the Yankees by much in these rankings, but they do come out slightly ahead. Okay, and then if, if we're talking about past championships as well, I'm looking at some data here. It looks like the Red Sox have been in three World Championships, and the Yankees have been in seven. Well, what you're looking at is the, the, the time in real, essentially about the last 20 years. And so, you know, even though the Red Sox were long known as one of these teams like the, the Cubs that were sort of lovable losers, sort of cursed teams that had not won for a long time. Um, one of the things that's kind of, you know, the, the Yankees in contrast have always been, let's say, the dominant team in, in Major League Baseball in terms of championships. It's an interesting aside, though, in that you know, two of the teams that make the top six, the Red Sox and the Cubs, are able to really have um, really have spectacular results in terms of fan passion without actually having a great, great history of, in terms of winning. No, that makes sense. I mean, and what about let's talk about the teams that struggle in rankings. Who are they? Uh, going into the 2018 season, the teams that come in at the very bottom are the Oakland A's, the Chicago White Sox, uh, the other side of the the other the south side of Chicago, and the Miami Marlins. You know, that's interesting. Why is it that one team in Chicago can thrive so much, but one makes mm -hmm. the losers list? Well, and this is before we, uh, before we even start to crunch the numbers and get into the data, one of the things that as, we've conduct, as I've conducted these analyses uh, across all sorts of, across all the major professional leagues, and we've, I've been doing this for several years now, is that we do tend to see this kind of split where in almost every major city or any major city that has multiple teams, whether you're New York and basketball or football or Chicago and baseball or Los Angeles and baseball, you tend to see one of the teams do really well in the rankings and the other team tend to do relatively poorly. I think that's an important point because it, it speaks to something, something about the nature of consumer behavior related to fandom. Okay? And I, think, I think what it is is that you know, being a sports fan is really a communal type of activity. You know, people like to go watch games. Well, they, they like to go watch games with 20,000 people in the ballpark or they like to go watch it with a few hundred in a bar. And I think it's important, you know, it, maybe it's more fun for a lot of people if they can be part of the community that is all sort of going in the same direction. So I think what happens in terms of some of these big cities is there almost ends up being a split. Whereas the, t the city, you know, I mean, there's always going to be a minority of fans that roots for the second team, mm -hmm. but the city tends to gravitate and get behind one team. Okay? Now, I'll also say, you know, I grew up in Chicago, and so the Sox are an interesting one to me. And the, the Sox sort of highlight, the, the White Sox highlight kind of the importance of history in all this. When I, growing up in the 70s, the Cubs were always on TV. They played on WGN, so they were... 
they were on in the afternoons for every kid that was out of school to watch every game. The, the White Sox were on one of these teams where you had to have a really good antenna. The kind of the, I think the, the uh, well they were I think they were on either channel 32 or channel 44. So stuff that was actually really hard to see. The Cubs play in a very traditional ballpark, Wrigley Field, that probably looks the same as it did a hundred years ago. The White Sox would do all sorts of crazy promotions. They would have a shower in the outfield and the outfield bleachers. Uh, the Cubs have always kept the same uniform. The White Sox tend to change colors. And so there's a matter of consistency as well. And you know, while we're talking about sports, you know, one way to look at all this stuff is that these teams are brands. Cubs have been a really consistent brand for a long time. The White Sox have been bouncing all over the place. So you think a lot of it has to do with marketing? I don't know that it's marketing per se in terms of how we think about it, like running advertising or running promotions. It's what I, where I think a lot of it comes down to is, let's say, having good marketing principles. So I think the key is that you are consistently high quality and you are also consistent in terms of how you package things. And so, you know, we think of, you know, the teams at the top of the list, the Red Sox play in Fenway Park. Again, a classic stadium, classic-looking uniforms. The Cubs play in Wrigley Field with the ivy on the, on the outfield wall. It's a very consistent approach where some of the teams that don't do as well in the rankings just don't have those long-term histories of consistency and excellence. Right, and when we talk about some of these teams that struggle in the rankings, they come from large markets as well. That's surprising to me. You know, it's not like a smaller city. Why do you think that is? Well, I think you're right that and you guys can check out the full rankings on um, a website we'll give you a little bit later in the program. What you tend to see is sort of some big market teams on the top of the list and a few larger markets on the bottom of the list and sort of the the, the teams in the middle tend to be more spread out over, over market size. And yeah, I mean at the bottom of the list we've got you know a team from the Bay Area We've got a team from Chicago, and we've got a team from Miami. You know, these are, it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting collection of things. And I think, you know, in addition to what, we're, what I was mentioning about, you know, so maybe a city tends to gravitate and get behind one of the two teams, I think there's also accidents of geography in all this as well. And so, you know, Oakland, the Oakland A's are sort of playing on the wrong side of the Bay Area. You know, San Francisco is where people want to live. Oakland maybe might be the second choice in, in that region. Uh, Chicago, the Cubs play on the north side of the city. The, the stadium, Wrigley Field, is located in Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville, which is an attractive place for people to go out before and after games, and people want to live in that neighborhood. The White Sox tend to have played on the south side of Chicago, which was a little less convenient or attractive for socializing. Miami's a, a great one as well, a, a great example, you know, because the, the Marlins came into being not too long ago. They've actually had some success. Uh, they've won a World Series. But I think the problem, and, th and this is a little bit of an aside, you know, when I look across all sorts of leagues, the teams from Florida tend to do relatively poorly in the rankings. 
And so is it a matter, a matter of having too much sunny weather? <laughs> is it that folks in Miami, you know, are, you know, or Florida are really big college sports fans? A lot of things can come into play. Yeah, so I'm actually from Florida as well, and I've been to a Marlins game before, and it wasn't packed at all from what I remembered. And, you know, it's surprising because, you know, the Dolphins don't do as well either, mm-hmm. but the heat's pretty popular. I think that's probably true, and again, it, it kind of highlights, you know, when, when we take a look at this stuff, when I take a look at this stuff, I'm using a lot of data. So I'm trying to figure out, let's say, empirical regularities, in general how things work. But sports, you know, the specifics always matter quite a bit as well. For for all the Miami teams, I can almost suggest that they're sort of different accidents of history. The... Uh, the Marlins are, in some ways, just too new. You know, a lot of sports fandom is, you know, almost generational in nature. When we think about the Red Sox or the Yankees, a lot of their fans came from families where their parents were fans of those same teams and their grandparents may have been fans of those same teams. That's just not going to exist in, 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 a, in, in a city like Miami where the team is only, you know, a couple of decades, a couple of decades old. So let's talk brand equity. How do you generate these rankings? Okay, and so this is what, you know, th- when we, at the top of the program, we talked about the approach to what we're going to do here as having a little bit of academia. So the foundation for doing this analysis, you know, and I think you might find other fan rankings on the web where folks are just going to, they're going to pull a couple of results. Here's the TV ratings, here's the attendance ratings, and they're just going to kind of add these things up. What we're going to do is ground this in something a little bit more rigorous, a little bit more academic. And so the core concept here is brand equity. Brand equity is something that even if you don't go to business school, it's something that's, I think, relatively easy to understand. You know, we live in this world of, we live in this world of brands. Our soft drinks are brands. Our clothing are brands. Um, our computers are branded. I mean, if you look at yourself from head to toe, you might be wearing Nike shoes. You might be wearing Levi jeans. You might be drinking a Coca-Cola and working on an Apple computer. And so the big idea in brand equity is that brands provide some value, some incremental value to consumers. And by providing that incremental values, consumers are willing to pay something extra perhaps or more likely to buy more of a given brand. Okay, and then how does this work? What's your approach to evaluating these fan bases? Okay, and so what we do, sort of the cornerstone for the analysis, and we've got a couple of different ways of slicing and dicing the data here, is we start with this notion of brand equity. So we start with the idea that a valuable brand gets an organization, in this case a team, something extra. Okay? So specifically, the way the rankings work is they're based on this idea of a revenue premium. So I build a statistical model of each team's home box office revenues. Okay? So essentially, the prices people are paying multiplied by the number of people coming through the stadium. So I, I tend to want to use the phrase, it's a model based on willingness to attend and to spend. So you both got to show up, and you also have to be willing to pay a decent amount of money to come into the stadium. 
and my thinking is that that gives us a pretty strong, not perfect, but a pretty strong measure of fan passion or fan engagement. How do you find this data? One of the things I do on these analysis is I work with public data. Okay? And public data is, I think, the ideal way to go for, the ideal way to do this type of analysis because it's out there. Everyone can look at it. When you spend a, a lot of time talking to teams and sort of um, uh, understanding how they might be working in terms of their marketing, you know, it, it becomes an environment where, you know, maybe you can find different sources of data that might be a little bit better. You know, maybe there's some league-specific data uh, that might be a little bit better than the public data you can find via ESPN. But my big thing is going to be consistency. And so, you know, there's a lot of sports data out there. You can go to places like ESPN and find information on what attendance was at different, at different, for different teams. Uh, what road attendance was. So we can see how many people the Yankees drew to New York, to the New York games, and how many people went out to see the Yankees when they were playing on the road. There is information on winning and losing over time. That's, that's kind of a really key point for this type of analysis. So when we're talking about brand equity and the idea that a brand gives you something extra, well, that means we got to have sort of a baseline. And in most product categories, you know, if we're talking about Nike or Coca-Cola, it might be hard to figure out what that brand is getting those companies in terms of extra because there's going to be differences in the product. You know, a, a pair of Nike running shoes is going to be a little different than a pair of Adidas running shoes. Coca-Cola is going to be a little bit different than Pepsi, a little bit different than the Kroger brand. One of the great things about sports is we can control for those quality differences because teams have different rates of winning or losing. We know who goes to the playoffs. We can read, essentially we can read quality levels in the local newspaper. Okay, well let's go back to the fan bases. What do the best fan bases have in common? Let me add just a little bit more to that. Um, so in terms of the, the basics of this stuff, so we, we gather all this empirical data from public sources build a statistical model of how the league works. Okay? So essentially we see what all the team's box office revenues are and then relate it to things like the quality of performance in terms of winning and losing, the size of the stadium, the income level of the median income level in the city, the population in that city. So we get an idea of how the league works and then what we do is we compare team's actual results to how the league works on average and that gives us our revenue premium based rankings. So you've done this for a few years now, you know, all these fan base rankings. Are they generally similar teams who are in the top five or have you ever seen an outlier who's been in the top five? You know, it's a lot of consistency over time. Uh, in the case of Major League Baseball, you know, you do, we do tend to see the same kind of culprits at the top of the list. And it, I actually find that a little bit um, I find that a little bit reassuring in that, you know, over time the Yankees have been at the top of the list, the Red Sox have been at the top of the list, teams like the Cardinals and the Cubs, you know, have ended up being in the top five most years. I think that's great because, you know, we, we go through this immense exercise of collecting a lot of data, analyzing it statistically, and the results still 
pop in the way that I think most fans would say, well, that makes sense. So would the Marlins ever have a chance in being in the top five? <laughs> I think that's a great question because, well, it's a, there's, so there's, there's two things here. So the stability at the, at the top and at the bottom of these lists should be kind of reassuring, right? Because if we think about sports fandom, it's something that lasts for a long, long time, right? So if someone is a fan of a, of a team, they tend to be a fan of that team from the time they're six years old till the time they're 85 years old. So these things are not going to move that quickly. Uh, a team like the Marlins is, you know, I, I think, you know, for if you're really invested in the Marlins, let's say you live in South Florida and you love this team and you really want this team to be supported, or if you're the ownership group of the Marlins and you want to build this brand, you want to build this fan base, it can be a really frustrating thing to do. And I think that the thing that you know people have to consider, fans and ownership groups, is just how big of a project this is. That you've got to be willing to invest decades into building a fan base. You've got to invest decades into being part of a community to start to get the returns that you know some of these other teams that are more long established. The other thing, and this is this is always going to be the tricky thing in sports. You really have to win. So, so you asked me what, was, what did the teams at the top of the list have in common. And if there is one consistency, it is that these teams have had, they've had success. You know, the, the Yankees are the best example of that. You know, winning more than 20 World Series. The Cardinals, you know, are, are high up in the list in terms of, you know, cumulative championships. It seems to be... You know, if I'm going to generalize, the key to being a successful sports brand is being in a good market um, where people tend to tend to live there. You know, where you've got kind of this core population that grows up and stays in the city, and a team that is successful over time. Well, that absolutely makes sense. So, how do you respond to those people who think there may be a large market bias when determining these winners? Well, when you look at the list, I definitely see how that conclusion that can, can come up. You know, we've got a team from New York. We've got a team from San Francisco. We've got a team from Los Angeles, a team from Chicago at the top of the list. As we move down the list, we have, you know, a team, the other team from the Bay Area, the other team from Chicago. And in past years, the Mets have, fail, have fared relatively poorly as well. I think what it really ends up being, though, is this idea of, you know, that markets tend to split. And so if we're in just about any city, and we, we don't see this in the small, we don't see this in the small market cities, right, because there's only going to be one franchise. But if you put two teams in a market, it's almost impossible for this to end up being a 50-50 split. And so the, the teams in the big market probably do have a little bit of advantage in sense of communities develop around one of the team. One team becomes more popular. And as one team becomes more popular, you know, it's going to be self-reinforcing, almost a little bit of a bandwagon effect. You know, I want to be part of the, you know, I want to be part of the winning side. You know, most people want to root for the winner. Okay, or in the case of Chicago, most people want to root for the more popular team. <laughs> Tell me about other ways of looking at fan bases. Okay, so 
We've done this in um, you know, the, the first part of the rankings, and I really do think it can be viewed as the gold standard as this idea of a revenue premium model. Right? So attend and spend, you know, what people do with their dollars. We've also cut the data on a couple of additional metrics this year um, using similar methodologies but different dependent variables. Okay, And so not to get too statistically geeky here, the first model, the key variable we're looking at is box office revenues. Uh, the second two analyses that we've talked about on the, on the website, uh, well, the first metric is, or metric number two, rather, social media equity. And that, rather than look at box, box office revenues, I'm looking at social media following as a combination of Facebook followers, or maybe it's Twitter followers and Facebook likes. So the size of the social network. From there, the analysis is, is similar. We're going to build a statistical model to predict social media following using all the data we have across the league, and then go back into the data and say who's outperforming and who's underperforming the rest of their the rest of their um, the rest of their competitors. For road equity, it's a statistical model that looks at how teams well that looks at how teams draw on the road, but controls for and again again we got a little bit of statistics and behind the scenes on all these things. Looks at controlling for things like population of the of the home market of a team. Um, how that team is performing and says, well, who's doing great on the road, let's say, despite whether or not they're winning in a given season. Okay, and then what about the implications? What does this all mean for the teams? The implications is uh, one of my favorite topics in all this. And so the rankings that you see on the web are great, I think, of great fodder for barroom conversations. You know, the New York fan can argue with the Boston fan about who is the best fan base. You know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing to do, right? It's like, and, and this is one of the things why I love to talk about sports, because the amount of passion is so much beyond any other marketing category. You know, it's like, you know, for some reason a Cubs fan will get into a heated argument with a Sox fan about who is the best fan base. It's kind of crazy, right? So... The fan bases are, you know, I put the rankings out there to encourage kind of fun conversation about the teams. But there's also some really important marketing implications in this story. Okay? I think maybe the, the most obvious one is the idea of sponsorship. And so both nationwide and in every local market, you tend to see a lot of, let's say, brands that want to do sponsorships with, um, with the various teams. Uh, I'll give you, you know, in, in the Atlanta metro area, you know, there's very often a McDonald's sponsorship with the Falcons, where you get a Falcons cup and there's, you know, some sort of tie into the team. Uh, I'll give you a, an even more local example. So here at Emory University, our healthcare people, specifically the orthopedic guys, do sponsorships with the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Braves. And, and so the question becomes is, you know, Teams have such passionate and loyal fans that is there value to other businesses in terms of doing a sponsorship, in terms of connecting the teams to my brand? So do you think, you know, the big teams, you know, like the Yankees and Red Sox with bigger sponsorships, that creates a, a bigger fan base? I think, 
You know, that, that's a great point. And, and I think it is something that uh, in a lot of sports, I mean, coming back to this idea that there tends to be one big, in the, in the markets that have two major teams, there does seem to be this kind of system of feedback effects, right? So a lot of people are Yankees fans. I want to be a Yankees fan. A lot of people are Giants fans. I want to be a Giants fan rather than an A's fan. And you're probably right that in a local market, the team that is sort of the, the big dog at any one moment is going to have more opportunities for sponsorship. And if we you know, think about our examples of you know, Emory Healthcare or McDonald's in the Atlanta area, well, guess what? Suddenly, now there's all sorts of you know, Falcons you know, imagery and icons and branding associated with the McDonald's. Um, there's television advertising locally here in terms of Emory that focuses on the teams and the sponsorships with the healthcare side. So it, it's free publicity for those teams. So there is definitely that kind of that kind of feedback effect. Well, thanks for sharing your input, Mike. We appreciate you giving us your wisdom. <laughs> well, you know, and to the to the listeners out there, you know, I hope you've I hope you've enjoyed it. Like I said, I think we're we're trying to do something a little bit different with this podcast in that we're trying to we're trying to combine academia and interesting topics. Now, that you know, even as I say that, that sounds like kind of a tough thing to do. <laughs> we tend to think academia kind of painful and boring versus let's say a cool topic like fandom. But what we're going to try and do in here is, what we're going to try and do on the podcast is look at whatever's topical and talk about, you know, essentially what kind of, what, what can analytics add to these discussions, you know? So as something is going down in the world of sports, or maybe we'll even extend to the world of politics or a little bit of customer analytics, you know, how can the, the, the person that hasn't, you know, devoted their life to the study of statistics or business, you know, think about these issues to kind of get a better understanding of, of why different things are why different things are happening. We'll, we'll, end, the, we'll end our episode one uh, here with a, you know, a big thanks for everyone that's going to tune in and listen. Uh, and we'll say that you can learn more about this podcast episode on influentialanalytics.com. You can also follow us at, on Twitter at sport underscore analytic. Um, and we really do hope that you check us out again next time. Thanks for joining. Thanks.